On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. If this goes to court, yeah. the court proceedings will outweigh the debt. Yeah. And you'll still have to pay it. Yeah, so we go to court then. You go to court. Yeah. So you're not you're saying you're not paying him, no, are not, not paying him because he has to prove me. If he proves me, I'll pay him. All I think you're acting the bollocks. I'm not You people walking in here that should have be no, there. You can call the cops. I call, you don't need to call the cops. Yeah. I don't need to call fucking okay. police. Okay. Okay. Google me and see who I am. Best known as the Viper, Martin Foley has long been established as one of Ireland's leading career criminals. From debt collection to jewellery theft, and even a suspected art heist, he has decades of crime under his belt. The Dubliner has even survived five assassination attempts. He was hit five times in the side and the back, and even suffered a punctured lung but kept going. He lost his, uh, his middle finger in his right hand in that attack as well. Now in his 70s, The Viper has been given a highly unusual punishment, a barring order from Wexford Town for 12 months. He doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be a strong man on the doorstep. You know, he knows that his face is known and his reputation precedes him. I'm Kevin Doyle and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Conor Fian, news correspondent with the Irish Independent, to discuss the self-described ordinary decent criminal, Martin the Viper Foley. Conor Fian, I don't want to age you, but probably it's fair to say that for decades now you have been tracking the veteran gangster Martin the Viper Foley. He's a guy whose name kind of sits up there along with the General and John Gilligan, but he tried to go straight, or at least that's the way he presented it. He's back in trouble. Tell us why. Yeah, the veteran gangster Martin Foley, who would be known, uh, his household name would be the Viper uh, in, in his in his gangland innings. Um, he has now been banned from setting foot in Wexford Town for a period of a year because he received a suspended sentence for his role in an incident during which a man was threatened that his throat would be slit. And this would be part of his more recent incarnation as a debt collector. Um, after a life crime, 
Foley set up his own debt collecting agency uh, using his own image really as the the kind of bargaining chip when he arrives near your doorstep and you see Foley there naturally you might be more inclined to pay up than than if he if he wasn't there so he set up his business as a debt collector and he's been doing that for a number of years now but recently he pleaded guilty to engaging in threatening and abusive behavior arriving from a particular incident uh, in which one of his heavies uh, for Viper Debt Recovery made a threat in an effort to recover a €4,000 debt from a tenant who had fallen behind on his rent to his landlord. They show up at his doorstep. It's alleged there was a confrontation and the judge's outcome of this was basically don't come near Wexford. Don't go near Wexford for a year. Yeah, that was part of his, um, part of his, his ruling. It's kind of fascinating two things that you said there. One is, I suppose, this conviction in itself is a bit strange because he is a debt collector. That is a legal business. But obviously, in this instance, the way that he was operating his business was uh, frowned upon by the court. He has more than 60 convictions, Connor, already. But Viper Debt Recovery, the name, he actually uses Viper. Now, people are always fascinated when you go, how do criminals get their names? The general, the monk, yeah, all of these guys. Yeah. He's actually embracing it. Yeah, absolutely. No, he, he has used this to his own advantage. As you say, look, most guys, you know, they, they'll be given a name like the Don and the monk and the general. Fat Freddy. Yeah, Fat Freddy, all, all of these kind of names. And a lot of them are put on them by reporters because they can't name them in pieces. So they have to give them a kind of a nickname so that at least people can keep up with who they are. So they're given kind of character names. Some of them then are kind of imposed by gang members themselves. The monk got his because he was a very kind of a solitary figure and um, he kind of worked quietly on, on his own um, crime career. Uh, but the Viper got his because he had a very, very distinctive moustache when he was in his younger years, very bushy above his lip, but then it came down at the sides towards his chin. So it was kind of an unusual shape and it looked like the fangs of a Viper. But as you say, he has since kind of used this to his advantage and his, his own um, debt recovery company is Viper Debt Recovery. So it's actually his own physical appearance. I've been reading about the Viper for years and I always assumed it was because he was a bit of a snake and that he could come at you. That would, you know, feed into the name as well. So it's, it's, it's that kind of double meaning to it. He has, as we mentioned, more than 60 convictions. So he, he is regarded as a notorious gangland criminal. But can you put that in the context of some of those other names that you've maybe put out there? He doesn't really get that same association with the drug pushing and, and some of the things that the blood feuds that we might have seen in recent years in different parts of the city. His convictions are mainly promoting offences. Like the, the actual convictions he has that he's done time for are actually quite few. Um, he has been kind of lucky in that sense in that while he has been a kind of a, a, a gangland enforcer more than anything else, his his time behind bars is, is minimal compared to others. He would have been associated with Martin Cattle the general. Gordy told the court that on two separate occasions, Cahill had threatened to burn out his neighbours and shouted obscenities at them. Gordy gave evidence in court of hearing Cahill say, Mr. Sisk, you have the Gordy in your pocket. I hope you will have them for the next 10 years. The big bad wolf is out to get you. In that sense, he was kind of his enforcer. He wouldn't have been a leader of the pack, but he certainly would have been a more of a background character, but very much involved in, in the gang that, that Cahill ran. And, you know, 
They've known each other since childhood. Uh, basically, the, the two Martins grew up together. Um, Foley's first contact with Cahill was when Cahill's family moved into the Crumlin area back when Martin Cattle was around 11 and Foley is, was two years younger. So the first of Foley's convictions was recorded when he was only 16 and, and that was kind of a, as a young tearaway teenager for being drunk and disorderly. And then a year later when he was 17, he was convicted of uh, larceny and receiving stolen goods. So he was already at that stage kind of moving on up into, into a more criminal world. So really he has been, you to use that phrase, known to Gardaí since his mid-teens and for the 50-odd years since. Very much so, yeah. And his heyday would have been as part of Cahill's gang. That would have been when he was... um, So we're talking, what, the early 1990s kind of period? Yeah, the 80s into the 90s and the famous robberies of paintings at Rusborough House and then there was uh, cash in transit robberies. Back in those days, a lot of factories paid their staff weekly with cash. So, you know, there'd be security vans with money driving around the streets of Dublin on, on a Thursday and um, Cattle's gang with Foley would, would seize upon this opportunity to to raid those cash roll deliveries. And there was a, a famous robbery in Harold's Cross when a, a, a jeweller's was, was robbed and um, I think it was around £2 million worth of goods were stolen in that. And, um, you know, that, that really brought the focus of the attention of the guards on them because it was such a, a renowned and well-planned robbery. It's interesting, isn't it, that back in those days, the gangs were making their money through the kind of stuff that we see in the movies, these jewellery heists, these cash robberies of banks. Compared to now, when we talk about Kinahan Hutch feuds and all the rest of it, very often we're talking about drug importation and smuggling, that sort of thing. But these guys were really old-fashioned crooks, if you like. They weren't into drugs. No, no, they weren't. And, um, you know, th- they would have classed themselves back in back in those times, I suppose, as ordinary decent criminals. They were the blaggers, they were the wave a shotgun in your face type of um, robberies. You, you raid a place, if everyone agrees and hands everything over and nobody gets hurt, you know, you go away with money. Whereas now, as you say, the, the more modern criminal has to become an expert in importation and, you know, linking with uh, crime gangs abroad. Um, It's a much more sophisticated system these days. But certainly back in Foley's early days, the drug trade was not on their horizon. Drugs were part of society in the 80s, though. And there is a fascinating um, story from 1984 when this group concerned parents against drugs wrongly blamed Foley and some of his associates for getting involved in street dealing and pushing of drugs. In the 1980s, um, it, it was around the time when the, the, the infamous Dunn family uh, from Dublin's inner city started to flood Dublin with it was Larry Dunn. And- yeah, yeah. But, but when that gang started bringing drugs into Dublin and, and causing all sorts of chaos with it. Heroin, I think, was Heroin. starting out basically at that yeah, point, wasn't basically, it? basically, yeah. Because, you know, I, I suppose Dublin would have, you know, like any city uh, of its day, it would have had its cannabis floating around the place. But heroin really, really was a, a different drug. Uh, and wh- when that arrived, then uh, there was a group called the Concerned Parents Against Drugs uh, set up. The protesters were from the Concerned Parents Against Drugs movement. They've been picketing a house in Cathedral View near St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin since Sunday night. The trouble started this afternoon when a number of them occupied the house and barricaded themselves in. They say the house was being used for drug pushing. And they 
were blaming uh, Foley and his associates for dealing drugs. So Martin Cahill uh, established a kind of a counter group called the Concerned Criminal Action Committee. And they would portray themselves, as I say, as kind of ordinary, decent criminals. We just do robberies. We don't involve ourselves in drugs. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they marched on the homes of the, the parents' groups. And eventually there was some sort of a truce called between the two groups when Foley was sent to negotiate with the, the parents' group, uh, which at this stage had kind of been infiltrated by, by other people, by Republican elements. And, you know, even back in those days, wearing a balaclava, Foley would be appearing on RTE's Today Tonight program at the time, back in the mid-1980s, speaking kind of on behalf of this concerned criminal action committee or otherwise the Ordinary Decent Criminals Group. It's, it's kind of unbelievable in this day and age to think that RT were broadcasting. Uh, you know, I can't see Miriam McCallaghan sitting down with uh, a, a gangster in a balaclava nowadays to do an interview. It's extraordinary. No, no, yeah, different times, all right, different times. But like, if you, if you can remember, I can remember it clearly when Martin Cattle was being in, in and out of court and he used to arrive uh, wearing a balaclava and he'd be kind of... He'd be he'd be kind of antagonizing the news crews a little bit and dropping his trousers to reveal his Mickey Mouse boxer shorts and that kind of thing. And then to the astonishment of reporters, he began to do a small jig. From you. And removed his trousers. Mickey Mouse! It was certainly a more innocent kind of a Dublin back then almost. Um, it was a smaller place. And nowadays they, they're very much keep to themselves and stay in the background as much as they can. But, but back then they didn't mind uh, flaunting themselves a little bit. And then the two Martins, Martin Foley and Martin Cattle, they were involved in, in crime for, for years and their friendship endured until shortly before Cattle's murder in August 1994, which was believed to have been carried out by the, uh, the IRA. The ambush happened shortly after three o'clock in Ranla, a well-known bedsitter suburb on the south side of the city. Residents said the cam of the afternoon was shattered by gunfire. Martin Cahill, who lived nearby, was slumped in the driver's seat. Over the years, Foley has been targeted by many criminal rivals. Uh, he ran foul of John Gilligan, among others. Gilligan was bringing drugs into the country at that stage and there was allegations being made that uh, Foley was becoming a, a bit of a talker about um, certain crimes and, and certain systems. And he was alleged to being um, a, a guard informant, I suppose, really. And, you know, this riled Gilligan and Gilligan, you know, wanted to react, uh, obviously, and, and try and silence him. And how he is actually still alive is beyond me because he's been shot so many times. He has survived five different attempts in his life and he's been wounded somewhere between 14 and 18 times, depending on which report you read. By wounded, you mean hit by bullets? Hit by bullets, yeah, yeah. Uh, while fleeing gunmen, he's extremely fit um, and, and still is to this day, even though he's in his early 70s at this stage. He's always kept himself very fit and very agile. In December 1995, he was shot as he got into his car in the Fatima Mansions complex in Rialto and he was wounded in the arm and the stomach but survived. Then a year later, he was wounded again in another attack, uh, this time outside his home, when his car was riddled with bullets. 
Uh, it was actually an AK-47 that somebody was using to try and target him and uh, an accomplice with a handgun. But, you know, uh, Foley being agile, being a quick thinker, um, he he escaped by by jumping out of his car, breaking into a neighbouring house by smashing the glass with his arm, running upstairs, jumping out a bedroom window into the back garden and then running through other gardens all the time being pursued by this gunman who was shooting at him. And he was hit five times in the side and the back and even suffered a punctured lung but kept going. And he lost his uh, his middle finger in his right hand in that attack as well. So, you know, he's one of these people that can just keep going and going and going. And, you know, back then it was because Gilligan was believing that Foley was spreading rumours about him um, and that he was dealing heroin. But, you know, it was one of those situations where he just had to keep going, keep running, keep looking over his shoulder. He had a brief respite then for four years until September 2000 when he was targeted again on one of his keep fit regimes. He would uh, he would swim regularly in Terenure College swimming pool. And it was when he was leaving here one night that he was targeted and he was hit in the leg. In that one, the bullet travelled up his leg and exited at his kneecap. Yeah, which would lead you to believe that he was shot while running because if you can imagine the bullet being fired at kind of the the sole of his foot almost, hitting his ankle and travelling up to his knee. So he was hit while he was running at that stage, uh, but still managed to raise the alarm and survive. And then the last time he was targeted was back in 2008 as he left Ben Dunn's Carlisle Gym in Kimmage uh, back in Dublin 12 and he was shot but he was leaving there as well. In all of that, Connor, you, you left out the time he was kidnapped by the IRA. Oh yeah, yeah. This goes back to March 1984. Um, an IRA gang broke into his house. They smashed away into his house one morning and kidnapped him. And it was a neighbour that raised the alarm because they saw what was happening and they saw the commotion and they saw Foley being dragged out of the house in his underwear and bundled into a van. So there was a kind of a chase up to the Phoenix Park from Crumlin and uh, Foley was freed then after a, a guard shootout with the gang. And um, they believed that that was part of the row between Cattle and his gang and the IRA over Martin Cattle's refusal to, to give in to kind of extortion demands and uh, Foley's name ended up on a hit list because of that. Now, he obviously was on Garda radar for all of this time. There was an incident involving what was called, as you might tell us, what were the Tango Squad? And how did Foley, I guess, get entangled with them? Yeah, the Tango Squad was a a Garda operation set up to bring down Cattle's gang. Um, You know, at, at this stage all of the robberies that were happening. And remember, like, Garda resources were fairly stretched at the time because the troubles were gone up the north and there was lots of resources put into that. Um, the, the IRA were certainly active and there was a lot of surveillance on them. So resources were stretched and that's how Cahill's gang, in a sense, got away with an awful lot of what it got away with. But in December 87, the Tango Squad was put into force to try and bring Cahill's gang down or at least to minimise the damage they were doing. So what they did was they put several gang members under surveillance. And I don't mean parking down the end of the road and looking up the road with binoculars. They'd park outside their houses and watch them just to frustrate them. And it was basically an ongoing and relentless confrontation between the guards and Cahill's gang. So they would camp outside their houses, they'd stop them, they'd search them on the street. And then when they'd travel a few more yards, they'd be stopped again and searched by another group of guards. And within weeks, 
of uh, the Tango Squad putting Foley under surveillance. He eventually just got enraged and assaulted two Gardaí. Uh, one he knocked out with a punch that broke his jaw and the other he threatened with a loaded crossbow. So certainly the Tango Squad knew that their efforts were working. They knew that they were frustrating Cahill's gang and by frustrating Cahill's gang they were frustrating Foley. Foley went to jail for that attack on the Gardaí but really I think for less than two years um, in the end. Yeah, it it was a uh, it was a sentence for for um, for two years, which was actually one of the longest sentences he served. And when you think about his life in crime, which has stretched over decades now at this stage, it is uh, it's it's incredible that the the sentences behind bars are so few and far between. I mentioned at the top that you have been tracking him for for many years. You've been on the Dublin beat with the Herald, who which obviously took a particular interest in criminals like him. Tell me about some of your encounters with him, Connor. Uh, when he'd called to his door, um, there'd be a there'd be a doormat. A lot of doormats when you call to doors, they say welcome. They say you know they've got some sort of a happy message. But his was was basically a, a doormat that had F off written on it. He he doesn't like journalists, though, as as you say. He's had a number of run-ins, but in particular, one journalist who listeners to the Indo-Daily will be familiar with, Paul Williams. They went toe-to-toe, both in court, and then Paul was under threat for quite a while. Yeah, Paul, uh, Paul being Paul, obviously, and, and doing his job was, was anxious to expose criminals and criminality. And um, he, has, he has written extensively about it, and he's written a book at the time called Crime Lords. And uh, back in 2005... Foley tried to seek a, a high court order to prevent the Sunday World from publishing what he claimed were sensationalist articles about him. And he said through his lawyers um, that he was being accused of being a guard informer and that this posed a real and serious threat to his, to his own life. Uh, the article was headlined, Foley's a dead man walking. And the subheading was uh, Viper entrusted by other gang members. So that was published in 2004 as a part of a series of extracts from the updated version of Paul's book. But, you know, Paul and the Sunday World argued that Foley had a long history of criminality, which included, you know, at, at that stage, more than 40 convictions. And that um, he, you know, Fo- Foley at this stage, you know, he had done all his own damage to himself, uh, basically by his criminal- criminality and his convictions and that anything that was written about him wasn't going to do any worse than that. But, you know, Foley did um, plant a, a, a fake, well, it, it turned out to be fake, but nobody knew at the time, uh, a, a pipe bomb under Paul's car outside his house. And a lot of people, you know, hundreds of people in this state had to be uh, evacuated out of the houses while, while that was dealt with by the bomb squad. Yeah, and I know from talking to Paul, it was a particularly stressful period in his life. He needed guard protection for a while. So while we sometimes talk about the Viper as ordinary decent criminal, the impacts of what he was doing were very huge. But as time goes on, he looks to get out of that world to, as I said, go straight. So he sets up this debt collection agency. But it hasn't been straightforward from there, has it, Connor? It's not as if he he gave up this life altogether. It's a lucrative business, the, the debt collection business. Um, it generally works on a percentage basis. You know, somebody recruits you to try and recover the debt and you get a percentage of it. So the higher the debt, 
the higher your potential profit is for, for doing the job. So we're talking things like maybe rent arrears for a landlord, you might go collect that, maybe yeah. a business that's owed for services, something like that. And when they can't get the money out of somebody, they go this route. Yeah, basically. And, uh, and the viper shows up on your door. Yeah. And he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be a strong man on the doorstep. You know, he knows that his face is known and his reputation precedes him. And that's basically the the modus operandi when he arrives on a doorstep. He doesn't have to intimidate anybody. His his mere presence alone is 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 enough to uh, to focus people's minds. He was hit by cab though a few years ago. Yeah, Foley was ordered to pay uh, over seven hundred thousand euro um, by cab um, after he lost a Supreme Court battle with them. Now Foley took the case to the Supreme Court because he claimed that because cab as he said, delayed for years in pursuing him. You know, the principal sum was then added to with interest and penalties. And Foley's argument was that the the interest and the penalties way outweighed the uh, the initial principal sum that he owed. And he felt, you know, okay, there might be an initial sum to be paid, but he didn't want to be stung for all the penalties and the interest, which kind of more tre- more than trebled the amount that he initially owed. And as you say, Connor into his 70s now, no signs of retiring, still going, except, of course, the one place he won't be going for the next year at least. Wexford. And my thanks to Conor Fian. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound by John Smith. Clips were from RTE and the Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review. We're offering Indo Daily listeners 50% off an Irish independent digital subscription. Head over to independent.ie forward slash redeem to sign up for unlimited access to premium content, e-paper, puzzles and more. Just enter the code INDO, that's I-N-D-O, to receive 50% off your subscription. Stay informed and engage. Subscribe today.